Good evening. Okay, here we go. Welcome to Everything Entrepreneurship with Walter and Yarrow. And this is Everything Entrepreneurship with your host, Walter Haas. And Yarrow Starak. Fantastic. We didn't even practice that this time. <laughs> Did no. you notice? Well, considering I didn't press stop on that first little screw-up you made, Walter, I think they'll notice. But <laughs> that's okay. It's all about professionalism. Post-processing. It'll, it'll sound professional after you edit it, Yarrow. Yeah, that's true. It will. Maybe. Uh, this is all about lean, Walter. We'll get this podcast out the door as fast as we can. <laughs> so, right. But I have to do editing this week. Ah, because right. we have a question, a live audio question, which you should stay tuned for coming up shortly. We have a lot of questions from the audience. Thank you for right. so Four many people. Questions. Four That's questions. Question Great questions, too. But first, we need to recap. Uh, but before everything, for those new listeners, this is Everything Entrepreneurship. We talk about entrepreneurship, startups, information marketing, blogging, business. We tell you what's going on with our businesses. Uh, we answer questions, if any come through from the previous episode, and generally ramble about some topics related to uh, online business. So let's start at the beginning. Walter, you've had an amazing week. I have had an amazing week. For those listening last week, we flew down to Sydney uh, for the Startmate, uh, which is an incubator in Sydney. It's, uh, yeah, the Startmate interviews. And we found out a day after the last podcast that we got accepted. So we will be moving to Sydney. That's uh, me and Brett, my uh, co-founder. And can you say what the the business is? So the business is called Inductly and we make training software for onboarding new staff to a business. That's very high level. Mm, It sounds like you've practiced saying that before for some reason, Walter. (laughs) That I haven't actually. Oh, did you? Because you, you had the words in, induction and onboarding, which you've discovered are the two different ways to describe getting your training at a, a new company, right? That's right. I've been doing a lot of work in the last week, of ready to move to Sydney for this new business. So it's all in my head. Uh, is it okay? So you've been doing more practical work, or even like looking for property and, and figuring out how you're going to move down there, things like that. Everything. I've been doing everything. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, a bit of both. Um, yeah, property, the, the other guys have looked into that more than me. And fingers crossed, we've got a nice apartment that's close by. Uh, we have to hear back on whether we got it. But uh, for those of you who don't know, Sydney property is very hard to come by, especially property in a good area that's close by to everything. Yeah, I think it's probably one of the worst cities in the world for it in terms of cost and you know, you, you're going to pay $500 for a one-bedroom apartment a week in rent if you're renting and yeah. half a million for the same apartment if you're going to buy it for like a studio. So it's pretty scary. And even if you do pay, you're not guaranteed to get the spot because yeah. there's just so few of them. Yeah, exactly. You're up against 40 other applicants. Don't try and bring a cat into that city, let me tell you that. <laughs> anyway, uh, okay, so it sounds like there's almost too much to talk about with what you're doing there, Walter. Yeah. We have some questions to get to, but congratulations on getting into Startmate. Uh, I think it's worth mentioning, obviously, that you're now going to spend three months in Sydney uh, incubating that idea with your co-founders and then heading off to San Francisco for another few months to continue the incubation process and potentially raise more funds. That's the plan, right? That's the plan. That's right. And it'll be quite an intense five months there. Awesome. Well, we look forward to hopefully hearing from you. I hope you survive the process and you can still come on the show during those five months. <laughs> Either way, it'll be an exciting podcast. Yes. Well, you better be here to do it, you know. Uh, 
Yeah, uh, that's great. So uh, quickly to recap my week, just so we can get on to questions. Uh, I am working on my next e-guide. I think I say the same thing almost every week now. Uh, this one's about uh, beginner blog traffic. It's the third and final of my uh, front-end e-guides that I've been working on. And it's probably a good uh, tie-in to the first question, actually, from uh, Andrew Helmich. Helmich, say that right? Because uh, uh, we'll, I'll play the question for you in a moment. Uh, but we're all we're talking about ebooks basically, and you know I've had two ebooks come out or e guides. I prefer to call them e guides because ebooks is a little bit I don't know boring. People sort of almost like oh I don't want to read an ebook. I'd rather read a guide or a training course or something like that. So I had these um, three e guides planned for a long time, and I have been going through the process of releasing them, re really just assuming that people will want them on some levels. So. Uh, Knowing that, let's listen to Andrew's question because it's a bit contradictory to what I just said. So, uh, ready to go, Walter? I'll just uh, click let's play. Go. Hey, Walter and Yarrow. It's Andrew Helmich here from the Photography Business Exposed podcast over at photobizx.com. Loving your show. In a recent episode, you talked a lot about researching and testing the market and finding out what the what the market may want before you actually go ahead and produce it and put all the work and time and effort into the production of some new product. So my question is, I've, I'm slowly building an audience that I really love and I really care about, and I've got an idea for an ebook for my audience, but I don't want to spend hours and hours and hours putting this thing together if I don't know, first of all, if they really want it and if they would be prepared to buy it. So I'd love to get your take on how I should test that first. I've thought about just asking my listeners, but I expect that because they like me and they like their show, they'll just say yes, but I don't know if, uh, if they actually would be really willing to pay for the ebook that I've got in my head that I'm thinking of that, that I think would be uh, useful for them and would help them with their businesses. So love to hear your take on that. Love to hear how you would approach it, either of you, if they're, even if they're, uh, they're both different ideas. Um, yeah, love to hear what you do if you're in my shoes. Thanks, guys. Bye. Okay, thanks, Andrew, for that question, and it's a great one. I, I've got so much I could say about this, and I could talk about the entire uh, podcast for the half an hour, I think, just answering this one, but um, I'd actually like to give Walter a go first. That way I can not be too long, so <laughs> you give your advice first. All right, well, I'll talk from my personal experience. The thing I've noticed is you need to ask people for money if you want to get honest feedback, because like you said, people do like you and they want to be nice if you ask them a question. So they'll generally tell you that, yes, they would buy your ebook. And uh, then when you finish it and you get it out there, that's when you start realizing that, no, they do have objections to actually giving you money. So ask for money straight away. So say you're, you're planning on buying, the, uh, you're planning on creating this ebook. Um, for those of you interested, you can get a special discount, you know, 50% off or 75% off um, for 10 people only, and then pre-sell it. Pre-sell like 10 copies of the ebook at ridiculous discounts. If you don't get any takers for that, then uh, you know there's something wrong. And then what's even better, once you do get those 10 initial buyers, you can then work with them one-on-one -on -one to figure out exactly what their issues are, what you should talk about, and basically refine your ebook so make it more a collaborative process to develop that ebook that would be my advice okay yeah i can extend on that andrew 
I would like to know, and I guess it's hard for you to answer this since you're not here, but what stage of your business you're at, whether this is your first product or you know, one of many you already have. And that, that's an important question because strategically, is this going to be a front-end product or a back-end product? Ebooks are usually front-end products. I don't know many businesses that sort of make their entire living off just the ebook. There are some, but most people have some sort of higher-end back-end. If it is your first, then I'm going to assume it is. Take uh, the advice from my uh, hindsight, I guess you could say. I also plan to release an ebook as my first product, and a much smarter idea is to actually release a course. And an ebook can very easily be turned into a course, yet courses are much have a much higher perceived value than ebooks do, and you can charge more for them. And the most important thing about them is you can launch courses without creating 95, 90%, whatever, of the content. So you can do basically like what Walter is saying without needing to create a course. So he's saying don't create the book until you have buyers. In this way, you can sort of launch the entire course, have the framework there, have the membership site there, um, you know, have maybe the first week's worth of content and sell it. Now, that's not going to tell you whether people are going to buy it. Uh, ultimately, you won't know until you, you know, put the sales page up and send some emails. But I can tell you, from my experience, definitely going with the training course, membership site, subscription program, something a bit bigger, is more lucrative, uh, easier to do a, like a launch, will potentially be a better product for you long term, and just works better when you're not sure about the uh, potential for it to even sell. Because, you know, ebooks. I personally think writing an ebook does take almost as long as writing a course if you're talking about writing. So there's no comparison there almost. Um, but if you just want to know about actual buyers and whether there will be any, Walter's spot on in terms of you don't really know until you ask for a credit card or whatever, a PayPal. Um, from my experience though, what I find, especially as you develop your business, and that's why I was asking what stage you're at, you'll start to learn how many buyers are on your list. For example, I can tell you now, every time I release one of my guides, and I've released two already and one early next year, I always know I'm going to sell somewhere between 50 and 150 copies just to my own email list as it sits in this current size. It's the pricing point, it's the, uh, the amount of buyers I have on my existing list. You know, that's not going to new audiences, that's just who currently pays attention to me. Attention to me. And I know my audience well. I know what we're all interested in because I was my audience in the sense that I grew my blog from you know zero to nothing, zero to something, and then you know went through this process. So I know where where I was and what I desired back then. So I know how to position my products to meet the needs of my audience. And I'm assuming you're probably in a similar situation. So you know the this the way other people do this. You know Andrew and Dale Grant they taught ebooks for a long time. They're a couple in Australia here, and, and I studied their methods. And they're very similar to what um, Ed Dale and Frank Kern used to do with the underachiever method. It would be put up a little opt-in form, drive some traffic to it. Basically, it's like a survey. You're saying, I'm going to create this book. It's going to be about these topics. I want to know how much you'd be willing to pay for it, and then see how many people opt in. Now, opting in is not buying, but it's one stage extra commitment beyond just, you know, reading your site or listening to your podcast. So the best thing you can do if you're not really, you know, you don't want to try and sell something that doesn't exist yet is to try and get as a high level of commitment as you can from people uh, as close to them buying as possible. So opting into a form, responding to a survey, getting on a coaching call and talking to you, 
Uh, and that really is the, the other option that I actually teach my beginner students to do. If you don't have a product yet and you're not sure whether it's going to sell, I actually recommend you sell private coaching first because that gets, you, gets people on a call with you. They're paying money and you're basically doing market research. So that might be phase one before you actually begin the ebook or begin the training course, whatever it is you decide to sell. Sell 10 one-hour sessions with you, which presumably will be about the same subject as your ebook, but you may find after you do the interviews that that's actually not what people come to you for. That's actually not their real problem. So that's another good thing about doing this process. You're getting people to pay money up front. You're getting them to actually talk to you and tell you what their problems are, and it might change your product, plus you're getting paid. So it's usually win-win-win. That's, you know, it's hard to go past that technique if you're at the stage where you feel like you know, consulting is the way to go. And apologies for the... Uh, the construction in the background. I'm living in a renovator dream neighborhood. Every single house around me is currently building something. So, okay, long-winded answer. Thank you, Andrew. Great question. Uh, and I definitely would love to encourage everyone listen, in, listening in. If you want to get your question on the show like Andrew just did, just send an MP3 or an audio file as Andrew did to my email, which is yarrow at entrepreneurs-journey.com. Walter and I will have a listen, and if we like your question, we'll stick on the show. And like Andrew did, you're welcome to mention your, your podcast or your blog or whatever website URL uh, you'd like. Phew. Walter. Nice. All right. Shall we move on to the next question? Let's. All right. This one uh, I particularly liked because it's very much along the lines of uh, the Startmate um, interviews we did last week. So... The question was uh, mastermind groups and what things have you found helpful from mastermind groups? Do you, do you um, want to read it out? Go, go ahead and read the whole thing. None of the questions are too big, I think. So, All right. Uh, let me just... Do you have it in front of you? From Chris. All right. I've got to find it again. <laughs> okay. Well, I've got it in front of me, so I'll read it out. You read the next one. Um, this is from chrislahay.com. That's Chris, L-A-H-A-Y. Uh, Chris asks, um, I have to get the first part in because it's a bit of a pitch for me here. Uh, Chris says, great episode, guys, and I always look forward to listening to what you are up to on a weekly basis. I picked up Yara's latest sea guide and am, and am plowing through it. I do have a question for you both and hope you might discuss it on the podcast if you think it's relevant. I've been searching for a mastermind group for online entrepreneurs in my area, but there is nothing readily available that I have been able to locate. I know there's quite a community in our region and I'm planning on organizing an initial get-together in the new year. What things have you found helpful in mastermind groups that you participated in? What did you enjoy and dislike? Is there one or two key tips that you can suggest that might help us get off on the right foot? Cheers and keep up the great work from Chris. All right. I have one thing that's helped me immensely with mastermind groups. So first, make sure you're in a mastermind group with everyone that's had some level of success in their chosen area. But even better, if uh, not all of you are alike. So if uh, all of you are internet marketers, you know, that'll, that'll work. But if someone's maybe a, a started a software company and someone else has done a startup and, you know, another, another one's done internet marketing, that's even better. In those groups, talk about Talk about your businesses, but once a meeting, get one person and focus all of your attention on their business. How do you take it to the next level? What, what are the things that are stopping them getting to the next level? Um, what are the potential problems coming up? How do you solve the problems that they're having? 
all focused on that one business. That's immensely helpful for not only the person receiving the advice, but everyone else brainstorming that business. Because usually you're too focused in your own business to apply certain strategies to another business. And once you see the problems other people are having and actually focus on solving that problem for that other person, then it starts to get the cogs moving and you start to get the same type of solutions for your own business. And that's probably the biggest takeaway I've got from any mastermind group I've ever done, the focusing on one person's business for half an hour. How, how long have your mastermind groups lasted for? Like, I mean, in terms not, you know, in duration for each session, I mean, like months or an entire year. They're very, very ad hoc. I used to do them with uh, just friends. We'd get around uh, once a week, once a fortnight. Um, when, back when I was doing the Hive, a networking group event in Brisbane. Um, yeah, it, it was just very, uh, very casual. Okay, so you, you sort of just said, hey, we're having our monthly meeting and, and did it that way. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Uh, the reason I ask is I've actually never uh, had a formal structured mastermind. I know, I know this is very counterintuitive to what the consensus uh, opinion is of masterminds uh, everywhere in business. I know it's recommended in, um, I think, Napoleon Hill's book, can't remember if it's in Think and Grow Rich or the other one, but it's definitely recommended. Definitely get a mastermind. And I know a lot of my fellow bloggers do too. Uh, it's funny, I actually recently had a chat with Gideon about this because he was in one and then he, he dropped out of it. And I've almost sort of started to go in one and then pulled out or just sort of gone, you know what, I don't think this is for me. It could be because I was raised as an only child <laughs> and I don't like to play with other people, I don't know. But I actually think this is for me the best form of mastermind is actually having a bunch of your friends who are like Walter, who are like Gideon, who are like Liz and Matt Rad, who are two of my friends in Queensland who do buying and selling businesses, um, you know, who are like Brett, obviously your new partner in, in the, the, the you're in Duckley with the new startup, mm-hmm. uh, and then a whole bunch of other people I know, some who are virtual friends primarily through Skype is how we communicate, and then there's a bunch of guys here in Melbourne where I live, and then there's some guys in Sydney, uh, Jesse Forrest lives there. And then there's even guys who are not even in my market, but like, you know, JJ, who's a magician and has a really popular YouTube channel. None of this is structured masterminding, but I see all these guys at some point. And, you know, my, my week is usually meeting at least one person or talking to one person from this whole collective. And that is actually where I find the mastermind value sort of what you normally expect to get from a mastermind, I get. So it's not structured like a mastermind, but it is an opportunity to talk about business because we're both interested in the subject. And that, that's often when, you know, I'll ask the question to solve a certain problem I've got. You know, I, I've, I've had issues with outsourcing for a long time. So I, every time I meet people, I go, so how did you hire that person? And that's what most people do with masterminds. For me, I think because a lot of masterminds are so structured, you must meet on this day and we're trying to get everyone involved and we have to all talk about our businesses and then all focus on one business. I think that helps some people, but I, maybe because I have been such a fluid entrepreneur in the sense that I like the freedom and the, the lack of structure in some things, that kind of goes against the way I like to, I guess, naturally brainstorm and come up with ideas. It's a little too structured, a little too forced. And often I find, and this is what I've heard from like Gideon, some of his feedback, you, if you don't very carefully 
pick and choose who's in your mastermind group, it can actually be a waste of time, long story short. You know, if you're not at the same level, uh, if you're not really got something to contribute to each other, you're, you're, you're not going to necessarily get something out of it. And that's the good thing about social masterminding, let's call it that. You're, you're choosing to be with those people because you're friends anyway, which I find makes the, the whole process of helping each other that much better. So, you know, I, I have nothing against it. I recommend definitely organize one, but more important to me is actually cultivating a social group of like-minded individuals. I think that's a better mastermind in my opinion and my experience over the years. And that's a drill. No, that's a saw. Are you hearing that, Walter? No, I can't hear a thing. Okay, so I'll stop talking. Let's about move it. on. Yes. Okay. All right. You can read the next one. All right, next one. So I particularly like this one because I speak another language. Um, and Oscar asks, could you talk about what the opportunities for markets that are not in English, for example, in Spanish? Um, obviously, the biggest markets are in English, but for all the people that don't have English as a native language, be very interesting to hear about other possibilities. Thanks and keep up the good work. So I speak another language and my girlfriend speaks French. It's, it's, and you speak C sharp, right, Walter? <laughs> and I speak code and Klingon <laughs> and a bit of elf. <laughs> I was thinking of learning um, Gallifreyan. I keep hearing about that. Dr. Whovians out there. I would love to learn Icelandic. I watched a documentary about uh, someone who learned it in a week. Uh, he was a bit special and could learn things really quick. But it's not Tim Ferriss, is it? No, no, not Tim Ferriss. I'd hate if he learned that in a week. <laughs> he might um, have to feed him to it, yeah. Yeah, I'm really jealous. He does, he does too many things with his life, so, you know. <laughs> Never too late to get started. <laughs> yeah, I'll do the Icelandic book. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> yeah, so back to the question. Um, yeah, other languages I've found are a very, very good way of uh, bootstrapping your business very quickly, especially if you can take a business that's already worked in the US and Australia or an English-speaking country and that isn't in your native country, so Spain, for instance, or in my case, uh, Germany, Austria, or France, in my girlfriend's case. So, In case you haven't guessed, Walter speaks Austrian. That's the other language. German, yes. Really? I thought it was Austrian. Oh, it's the same thing. Austrian-German. Uh, German, it's, it's a dialect. Okay, so it's like a, it's a regional dialect of German. That's wow, right. there you go. I learned something today. Keep going. Yeah, so um, what, I've, what I've found, I haven't started a business in uh, Germany, but um, my girlfriend's family, they, they run a business that's uh, exporting from Australia to uh, French-speaking countries. And I've noticed that you might have you know, a good supply chain, you might have the business all set up, but the language is a huge barrier, absolutely huge. And if you can take a leaf out of a business that's doing really well in Australia, as they've done, and then applied it to the French markets, they're doing really well. And it's largely because of that language barrier. I mean, everything else has to be in place. Um, they run, they work in construction, so it's, uh, they have to have their suppliers and uh, supply chain, all those things all sorted out, of course. But uh, language is the biggest, one of the biggest problems uh, to stop other people moving into that market. So definitely, definitely a good opportunity mm. if you can find a business that's working well and then apply it to uh, your country or your language. Same advice for me, Oscar. Uh, Walter's bringing up, I guess, an example of a slightly different business model than what I would normally use. But one of the best uh, case studies I've seen is 
a guy I interviewed well, a few years ago named Oliver Roland. You can guess where he's from, he's French. And he basically did what me and countless other bloggers have done where we teach about making money online and teaching how to do blogging and information marketing. And he did it in French and went on to become one of the leading French internet marketers uh, making, well, I remember when I interviewed him, he was doing about 8,000 euros a month. Uh, and then it's probably grown since then. That was quite a while. So the great thing about that is you replicate what's already working in another marketplace in your language. And if, if that's your native tongue, I would never suggest you try and force yourself into English, which will be more competitive when you can go and do Spanish, in your case, Oscar, and uh, potentially become the leader in that space. So just like Walter said, and the great thing about this is you can kind of carbon copy somewhat the successful models in another area. I remember actually thinking about... Ooh, this must have been about six, seven years ago when Perry Marshall and his definitive guide to Google AdWords was fairly new and just kicking ass. It was the leading book, probably still is the leading book on pay-per-click advertising. And it was in English. I'm thinking, wow, you know, Perry's got such a dominant positioning in American, you know, English-speaking audiences, but there's no one I, I could think of in another language. Like, you know, Japanese have to do pay-per-click. Um, I was thinking of all the largest countries with, with the most... Uh, potential for income obviously not the largest populations but the greatest gdp are the most likely to spend a lot of money on things so it was, it was countries like japan uh maybe emerging markets like brazil um anywhere where you've got enough potential buyers but it's not saturated or there's not a leader in the field that you could potentially become so great opportunity definitely go for your native language, especially if it's got to do with communicating. I mean, if you're blogging or podcasting or videoing and you're speaking, speak in your native language because I just think you have such an advantage. Like, I, I don't know how good you'd be in Austro-German, Walter, but... Um, Not so good. I've <laughs> grown up in Australia. I consider myself Australian and I don't really speak German all too well so, anymore. Yeah. So. So you can yes. imagine if, if German was the, the, the big language on the internet and you were thinking, hmm, I, I speak the best at English, but you know, German is really what, how everyone seems to be making money. Maybe I should do German. You're going to be hindered, aren't you? I would, I would stick with English, definitely. And, and once I've got that working, then maybe I'll consider doing, uh, doing German. But I would definitely stick to my na native language first. All right, good stuff. Thank you, Oscar, for your question. And we have one more, right? Just one more. One more. Yeah, All okay. right. Let me you read that one out. Out. Alex Bolger. I hope I'm not butchering that, Alex. Alex Bolger asks, thanks for your podcast, but I'm a bit confused about horizontals and verticals. I often hear the term vertical for a similar product in a different market, like a community platform in soccer that builds another platform for tennis on the same system. But if I Google for vertical and business, they talk about horizontal if they have a similar asset in a different market, like another store in a new neighborhood. Do you have any idea why a new economy horizontal is an old economy's vertical and vice versa? Thank you, Alex. Whew. <laughs> well, I'm confused. Walter, <laughs> clarify for us. Um, well, I, <laughs> I like a little quiver in your voice. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you would also, also mention we talked about this, like you were talking about this last episode, weren't you? Yeah. So I did, uh, I did mention horizontals and verticals last episode regarding my new business in Duckley. Um, but 
The definition, so I just wanted to clarify the def definitions I used for horizontals were pretty much the uh, same definitions that Alex mentioned where you have the same product in a different space. So if you you go after soccer players as uh, as it may be a training program, um, make them better soccer players, and then you go for tennis players and you make them better tennis players. So that's a horizontal product. It's a teaching product um, that you can apply to a whole bunch of different markets. Verticals would be if you're applying the if if you go deeper in the one market. So you start off with uh, making soccer players better soccer players, but then you realize that they really have trouble, you know, shooting for the goal. So then you add a special training program for you know how to how to hit the goal, and then another training program for how to do passing and then another training program for how to juggle the ball. So you get really deep into one industry. That would be a vertical. And if you're shallow, so you do a little bit, but across many different markets, um, then that would be a horizontal business. But uh, <laughs> yes. Can I just interject? Because I'm reading the story of Amazon.com now, the book that's currently out. And Amazon started with books. We all know that. And then they gradually expanded into uh, everything, toys, electronics, jewelry. Uh, and of course, nowadays, they're in you know, hosting services and Kindle and everything like that. But initially, they were in books. Now, they have one platform, which is the Amazon.com website that sells this product. And then they have what I believe they call it multiple verticals. They sell books in one vertical and then they sell toys in another vertical. And the platform they use doesn't change. It's always Amazon.com, but the products they sell do. So they're actually tapping into many different verticals using the same platform, even though the product changes. <laughs> it's almost like mixing everything there because you've got a platform that doesn't change and then you've got products that do change that go in different verticals. So I think we're going to end up confusing everything here. But my understanding was always... If the product changes, then you're tapping into horizontal differences. If the audience changes, you're tapping into different verticals. That's the way I used to see it. So new people or new product defines what you're changing. What do you think, Walter? Well, <laughs> I'm a stickler for correctness, so <laughs> okay. I don't, um, yeah. I, I haven't really heard that phrase all too much. Um, what uh, what you said sounds right, Yarrow. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to. Well, you you looked up the definitions, didn't you? Well, yeah. Those those are the general definitions of horizontal and vertical, though. But um, nothing about why the new economy is horizontal is the old economy is vertical. Well, I can see where Alex so. is coming from, though, because he's sort of they do overlap in if you say it certain ways. If it's if you're selling a like you know i've got a blogging training product and i've often thought i could take this and focus specifically on writers and then i could take it and focus it specifically on um, freelancers you know people want to write books versus people who just want a career with writing and then i could go and you know maybe even take it to video creators <clears throat> and have them you know use the techniques to grow their videos now the course will fluctuate slightly, but I'm actually, I always thought I'm tapping into new verticals because I'm tapping into new people, new markets every time I do that. Where if I stuck with bloggers 
And then, like you said, I sell them the blog training program, then I sell them a membership site training program, and then I sell them a uh, private coaching program. I'm just going deeper into that one vertical. So I'm not changing verticals. I'm staying with the same vertical. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm almost not even sure where the horizontal part comes into this, to be honest, because it's either going deeper in one vertical or switching between verticals. If you're switching between verticals, does that mean you're moving horizontally? Is that what we're saying? WordPress is horizontal. You can use WordPress for many, many different sites, for instance. Yeah. But a, uh, but, uh, or the Amazon Web Store. So that's a horizontal. But uh, I'm just trying to think of a vertical. Um, so sales page optimizer is uh, vertical. That's just for people that have something to sell. But you can apply that to many horizontals. <laughs> I, I, I think yeah. any product really comes in a sort of combination of horizontal and vertical. It does a bunch of things for a group, and uh, but it can be used outside of that group within varying mm. degrees. You know, you know, I think this is difficult for us to answer, Alex. And I think a lot of um, people in our field would also struggle. Is we have no corporate background. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. This is these are terms that corporations use all the time. Because I remember, like you know, they're having boardroom meetings about throwing budgets behind moving into new verticals, uh, or even changing the entire structure of the business horizontally. You know, those sorts of things. So that's where these phrases are are thrown around. I talk about sales funnels and target audiences. That's pretty much. So if I'm going deeper, I'm I'm working on my sales funnel. If I'm expanding into new markets, I'm looking for new target audiences. Uh, um, horizontal and vertical can be applied to those things, but now I'm more confused than I was, I think, when we started this podcast. So thank you, Alex. <laughs> yeah, but that's a good point. We do tend to focus more on like people. What do my customers want? What do we, what do the people that are using my website, my you know products? What do they want? So it's more people focused and niche focused. So mm. they care about blogging or they care about uh, internet marketing. What what do those people care about? And I think in general, even um, for corporates, if that it might be better for them to think in terms of their customers as people, because ultimately they're selling to people, yeah. not consumers. Yeah. Consumers is just a easy way to abstract from all the messiness of what people want. Remember with cranky ads, how we were looking at changing, like doing a pivot, mm-hmm. and we were often considering target audiences, like completely new groups to go for. So I, I, I was assuming then we'd be moving along horizontally, taking our platform, but targeting a different group. Yeah, that would be horizontal. But again, we didn't think of it like that. We thought of it more in terms of niches and what do those people want? What problems do they have? Yeah, but our platform would have been still some form of what it was, some kind of advertising rotation tool. But, you know, can we target only, um, you know, we were targeting bloggers at that stage. So maybe we can go after large companies instead who need a, uh, platform, but see, then we'd be changing the platform. That's where I get confused by this because at some point, you're even though you're using the same product, you're still modifying it. So anyway, it's more strategic. It's definitely at the corporate level, and we were at over half an hour. So Alex, I'm glad we've ended so, yeah. with our strongest question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we answered it, Yaro, but yeah. uh, Alex, should I, give it a shot. I think we're probably about as confused as you are when you when you say the new economy versus the old economy. Perhaps we should just. Re- rephrase that it's not new versus old it's just 
I guess, a much more strategic, top-level way of looking at marketplaces and business structure versus a, a startup or an individual blogger who's much more fluid and doesn't want those labels and is sort of still just trying to find cash flow, basically. So um, I want to thank Alex for his question, Oscar for his question, Chris, and of course, Andrew for the audio question. Uh, thanks, guys. It's great to have such a variety of things to talk about on this uh, interview, uh, this podcast, sorry. I'm going to struggle to come up with a title for this this show, though. It's going to be the longest title ever in the headline. Um, and if you want to ask a question, you can be like those guys and just leave a comment reply to the blog post. Or if you want to go first and get some extra exposure, be like Andrew and send an MP3 of your question. You know, spend 30 seconds to a minute asking us what you have. Record the audio and send it to me, yarrow at entrepreneurs-journey.com and we'll have a listen and if we think it's good for the show, we'll answer it on the next episode of Everything Entrepreneurship with Walter and Yarrow. Walter, what are you doing this week? Ooh, this week I am flying by the seat of my pants and getting everything ready to move to Sydney. It's quite a lot to do when you move into state as I'm sure you've, you remember, Yarrow. Yeah, I've done that a few times, yes. Uh, it can be. I mean, it's a bit weird for you guys because you're sort of doing it for three months, five months, six months, maybe a year. I guess if the company goes well, you'll stay in San Fran, right? Oh, hopefully, yeah. Right. Okay. Fingers crossed. <clears throat> awesome. Well, um, that could potentially be a really boring recap for you next week, Walter. I, I call the removalists and I <laughs> you know, packed up my bags. <laughs> and I made a shopping list. <laughs> yeah, okay. Let's talk about something fun. What am I doing? This week, I am continuing to work on my beginner guide for blog traffic, uh, which I hope to get done. My tech person, Carly, is going to France. She leaves today, and she won't be back until the 17th. And much of our work together is sort of driven by you know, the combination of me telling her what to do and her doing it. So she won't be here to do it. So it doesn't sound like a one-sided relationship. <laughs> a little bit. As all good relationships are, Walter. Um, <laughs> so I will be pretty much spending all of Christmas and the first part of January getting this guide ready for when she does come back because I am quite keen to finish it because I, I would like to move on to my courses. Uh, next year, I am re-releasing all my training programs and that's going to be a hefty job. So once this last e-guide is done, that's, that's next. Uh, however, this guide is the most uh, underdeveloped of the three guides I was planning on releasing. There's quite a bit of new writing I need to do for it. So I'm going to be working on that. But it's fun. It's, for me, it's the most enjoyable part, doing the writing. So that'll be my week leading up to what Christmas is coming up, probably next show. Is that actually Christmas Day even? Uh, close 24th. To it? It's, uh, Christmas so Eve. Monday is the 23rd. Yeah, Christmas uh, is the Wednesday. Okay. So we'll be doing our pre-Christmas show next week. And yeah, uh, yeah that's it. Walter. Fantastic. Lovely. Well, thanks for listening. Thank you, Walter. I love talking to you every week. <laughs> love talking to you too. <laughs> okay. And thank you all, our wonderful listeners. Oh, yeah, guys, we need that uh, review on iTunes too. Make sure you get in there and give us some stars and tell us what you think. It'll help us to get more listeners, which makes for a better show for everyone. So uh, that's it from us, from Everything Entrepreneurship. Goodbye, Walter. Goodbye, Yara. Goodbye, everyone else. Thanks again. Everything Entrepreneurship with Walter and Yarrow. 